This is the On The Radar Show with your host Radar as he highlights the sports topic of the week and while also diving into pop culture. This is On The Radar with me, your host Radar, coming at you with episode number 11. Every time we on the show, we'll talk about local and national sports topics along with pop culture topics. Now, the football season for regular season, it finished up. I wrapped it up last week while doing the show on New Year's Eve because of New Year's Day closing the place up on Wednesdays that I record my podcast and Christmas closing up the previous week, so I recorded it on a Thursday. A lot has happened since our last Tuesday, like the NFL wildcard round. Now, the Texans, they beat the Bills in overtime. And before that game, I predicted the Texans would win because as good as the Bills' defense was, they can't match how good Deshaun Watson is individually, DeAndre Hopkins individually, and the fact that the Texans this year improved their offensive line. They got him Kenny Stills, so he had a second receiver he could throw the ball to, even if Will Fuller was there or not because he can't stay healthy. And he got Duke Johnson to cast patches out of the backfield, and he had Carlos Hyde to run because when Carlos Hyde was an everyday running back in San Francisco, he was really good. All that turned into Watson himself, getting himself a rushing touchdown, converting in a two-point conversion by running it in, throwing a passing touchdown, and converting on a two-point conversion in the second half because they were they were zombies in the first half. They, they couldn't score anything against the Bills' defense. They, like they were stopping them. And the Bills only had a touchdown on Josh Allen catching a pass, which is weird. Now, I said they approved the offensive line, but against the Bills' menacing defense, his offensive line gave up seven sacks, and he still prevented – a loss. He willed his team to win in in regular in regulation and in overtime. And that was a game I pretty right. The Bills couldn't help themselves. They had the lead and Josh Allen just kept turning the ball over. In the other AFC wildcard game, the Titans upset the Patriots. And you could say, is it really an upset? Yes, based on the fact that the Patriots have the dynasty and until they're out, you can't you can't take them out. It only happens when they actually lose that so you could say they're out of the contention. And that was the thing. Ryan Tannehill, he threw a touchdown pass. That was lovely, but he also threw an interception. The real story of the game was Derrick Henry just ran all over to that vaunted defense of the Patriots that had carried them all season with their anemic offense. He had 182 yards rushing, and he got a rushing touchdown. And the Patriots lost. It was going to be a one-point loss with less than a minute left. But Tom Brady on his first pass, great, you know, kicking, put him pinned them in the end zone, he threw an interception. And because they're right in the end zone, the guy only had to run a small amount of time to get a touchdown. So instead of them losing by one point to make it look a lot closer, the pick six didn't help as well. And then on the final play, they tried to pull off another Hail Mary type of... All of a sudden, they got something, you know, where they keep lateraling it this way, that way, because Miami beat them two seasons ago in the regular season like that. They tried pulling up against Miami... This year, they tried their own thing, and they fumbled it to end the game as well. The only really touchdown they got in the game was Julian Edelman's rushing touchdown. Now, not saying this is the end of the Patriots dynasty. Tom Brady's retiring, going to another team. Bill Belichick's going to leave. But the Patriots need that home field advantage because they always get that home field advantage, and that helps them because they have a wild card then. They got the home field advantage, but they didn't have the bye. And the Titans used the same tricks that the Patriots used because Mike Vabrell learned under Bill Belichick. Now, in the other game, Saints are a better team. Their defense is not as good as probably the Vikings, but they're a better overall team with their offense and their defense combined. Now, 
This was the first ever overtime playoff win in Vikings history. Kirk Cousins only threw one touchdown pass, and that was that deep pass that got him to the end zone to win in overtime. Drew Brees did his best in this game. He had a touchdown, and so did Alvin Kamara. But it didn't matter because Dalvin Cook was just running all over the Saints. And then Kirk Cousins showed up. It's the first time Kirk Cousins probably showed up ever. He's probably He's been in the playoffs before with the Vikings. He's been in the playoffs before with Washington. But at the same time, he has never proven that he could, you know, do this. So he finally showed it off, and that's an upset because the Vikings are, were a good playoff team that just didn't win division because the Packers were better. I was right in the Seattle game because even though Seattle had lost the running backs, Carson Procise and Rashad Penny, and their defense is not as good as it used to be, and their offensive line is okay, and Russell Wilson himself has to lead his team down the field on, on touchdown. Marshawn Lynch beats mode had another touchdown for them after having one at the end of the season. Metcalf as a rookie receiver was wide open all over the place, getting 160 yards and catching one of those touchdowns. That I knew that the Seahawks would win the game. I thought it would be close to Carson Wentz towards the end of the season, even if the schedule was horrible against horrible teams, and he, it was all winnable games, and they beat out the Cowboys, that they were the worst team to make the playoffs, even if they won a division. But they had a winning record, so it's not a bad thing. That Carson Wentz, like he did all year, willing his team to victory, despite having back-off offensive linemen, back-up receivers, running backs, and tight ends, some guys on practice squad over a cup by other teams. Now, Zach Ertz wasn't at full strength, nor was Dallas Goddard, his only two real weapons. But your only two weapons are your starting tight end, your backup tight end. And a rookie running back, and Boston Scott, a running back nobody's ever heard of, Greg Ward at wide receiver, you're like... Wow. But, of course, he gets knocked out by a questionable hit by Jadavian Clowney. We're not going to go into debate on that's questionable or not. But, of course, Josh McCown starting his ever postseason game because he's been that career journeyman who started for every single team that needed a quarterback. But they haven't been good, so it's been a backup. Now, he won his team down the field for three field goals. That's all you could say. If the guy, the quarterback, your franchise quarterback, has wills you to the playoffs with backups and, and guys from practice squad and other teams. What do you expect your backup 40-year-old quarterback who hasn't really played this season for you? You had other backups, but they weren't good enough at the p- time when you made the postseason decision of who to play, and he was coaching like his team, his son's like team, and flying back and forth every weekend. And he did an admirable job at 40, first ever playoff game, but it was a losing it was a losing battle going into the game because of all the injuries, even if Carson Wentz played. So, so far, I was two out of four in the games that happened. Now, the ne- the games that are coming up for the uh, playoffs, I think that as good as the Packers have been this season under Matt LaFleur and the fact that they, um, they, have, they had a better record this year than last year, I still think that the Seahawks, even with Marshawn Lynch as their running back, that Russell Wilson, if it comes down to him or Aaron Rodgers, it's going to be a close game. If it comes down to defense... Packers defense improved, but that's going to be a neck-and-neck game, and I'm willing to take the risk the Seahawks are going to win. I feel like Russell Wilson's carried his team all year, and the Packers defense has been better than before, but I don't think they can stop uh, Russell Wilson. Now, it could be a high-scoring game because both defenses may not show up, and I'm going to go with the Seahawks. And the Texans, they beat the Bills like they're supposed to. And Deshaun Watson individually is a good talent, like Patrick McCollum. Both their team's defenses are not elite units. They have guys that are good on the team, and... They have good running back situation tandems, and they got good receiver tandems. Tyreek Hill's going off. Is is the receiver versus the Jander Hopkins? I'm taking the Chiefs because overall they're a better team and they have the better quarterback. And the Titans, Ravens, the Titans pulled off that upset. Now, both teams rely on defense. They rely on running the ball. Lamar Jackson is a great runner, and he's turned to be a good thrower. And Ryan Tannehill can sneakily is a good runner. 
this game is going to be very close. It's going to be ba- defense and running the ball. And I still think that the Ravens have been the best team all season. They're going to win. It's just not going to be a blowout. And the other game, the Vikings versus 49ers, the Vikings and the Saints are, played a pretty close game. But the 49ers have been the best team in the NFC all season. And I, don't, and I feel like their defense is so much better than the Saints that Kirk Cousins and, and – uh, and Dalvin Cook are going to be stopped by the 49ers defense, and it's going to come down to can the 49ers, with their running back tandem, having George Kittle, Emmanuel Sanders, and if Garoppolo can actually outplay Kirk Cousins, because both of them haven't really lived up to their potential with their contracts. So it's going to come down to who's going to play better, and I feel like Kirk Cousins is playing a better defense so that Jimmy Garoppolo is facing not as good defense as the one he had, that the 49ers will pull off a close victory like the Ravens will and like the Seahawks probably will. And the Chiefs will pull off a close win as well. Now that was the wrap-up of the wildcard games that were just played this weekend. Now, in other news, the Bears locally, let's talk about them, they fired their offensive coach, Helfrich, their offensive line coach, Heistad, their tight end coach, and their assistant special teams coach. They fired four people from their staff because they don't know, is it the quarterback's fault? Is it the coach's fault? Is it the GM's fault? They don't know. You can blame the GM for certain moves, and you can blame the head coach for not tailoring your system to, to... Trubisky. Now, they went in to hire Jose Castillo as their offensive line coach. And when he, he he's worked for the Eagles and the Ravens and the Bills before, he worked under Andy Reid, and he and Matt Nagy worked under Andy Reid before as well, so they're familiar with each other. And in Buffalo, they had a top six or fifth rushing defense. They allowed the fewest sacks in 2017, and they had the second most total yards when he was with Baltimore as well. So he also even improved the defense. When he went from being an offensive coordinator, you know, in terms of the offensive line, he then coached defense as well for the Eagles, and their defense was pretty good as well. So I have very faith that the Bears actually hired a very good offensive coordinator to be the offensive coach at the offensive line coach. What I'm hoping is they hire Pat Shermer, who has proven that he's not a top lieutenant in both Cleveland and New York, that he's good enough to be the the uh, the offensive coordinator. There's plenty of guys out there who have been head coaches before that are better suited to be offensive coordinators. There's up-and-coming guys who are coordinators at other positions like quarterbacks or tight ends coach that you could promote as well. Hopefully the Bears do that. Now when it comes to other news, the, the Panthers hired Matt Rule, this college coach, to $62 million, long-term deal. The head coach, they want him to be there for a while. Usually the teams cut bait with coaches after even one, two, even three years at most. But the Panthers' new owner's like, we're going to go all in. Now McCarthy went to Dallas, and everybody thought he would be better off with the Browns because they needed a real leader there or Ron Rivera going to the Giants because they have a stable front office. But no, he went to the most unstable franchise, not named the Browns, the Washington Racial Slurs, the Redskins, and Dan Schneider. So the Washington, they got the best head coach on the market. And Dallas didn't get one of the best. They got one of the most safe and secure guys. He knows offense. He may not be the most creative guy, and he didn't get the most out of Aaron Rodgers, but the Packers were relevant because of him, and the Cowboys just needed somebody. Now, he's very close to Jason Garrett, but either way, Dallas and Washington have the best coaches in this division that, that are not Doug Peterson. So the Giants already have fallen into fourth best coach in the division. Now, they want a Matt Rule, but they wouldn't uh, match the offer. So they hired Joe Judge. And if you've been paying attention, I'm not a Bears fan. Yes, I live in Chicago. And since the show is based in Chicago, I just focus the talks about the Bears. But I always look at it as an outside perspective, looking at the numbers, the statistics, and the facts of the matter. It's something that most people in Chicago care about. My family, my father, all these people. I am a New York Giants fan, and I accept that they have been horrible because they had the, they had this one GM for too long and made bad decisions. They had 
Tom Coughlin for too long. They kept the head coach and GM for too long. They hired David Gettleman, who got fired by the Panthers, and he hires Pat Shermer. Now he goes out and hire Joe Judge. Joe Judge sounds like a create-your-own-name-for-a-coach or a player. And he has been the coach of special teams for the Patriots for a while. But Brian Flores was the defensive coordinator, and he went to Miami. And so far, you don't know what's going to happen there. Bill O'Brien has made the playoffs pretty much every year with the Texans. But, pr- but most Patriots coordinators, when they go off, they don't succeed. Josh McDaniels, he didn't succeed before. Romeo Cronell. You can keep going on and on with a list of guys that have worked for them. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie Weiss, the guy from the Notre Dame, he was a coach, if I got his name correctly, his last name. So many guys. But instead of looking at the tree for Andy Reid that had Nagy and to name some and Doug Peterson and other guys like that, like how do you not hire the the coach on the the the, the Chiefs? You got. He got his name, Eric Bieniemy. He worked under Andy Reid. I don't know why you can't hire him. You got Kevin Stefanski. He's working under Mike Zimmer. You got Josh McDaniels. Yes, he failed in Denver and went with Tim Tebow, but if you're going to pick any coach that's on the Patriots, you want to go Josh McDaniels. You want to go with the guy who could have taken the Colts job, a guy who, you know, he would have brought Joe Judge with him, but a guy you've heard of. Greg Roman, what he did with the 49ers and Kyle Kaepernick and what he's doing with, the, with Lamar Jackson. You can go with... The Bills offensive coordinator and Sean McDermott because Sean McDermott is a disciple of Greg, of Ron Rivera. He came from him. Robert Sala, he works under Kyle Shanahan right now, and he does defense, but still. You got guys working under smart head coaches in Buffalo, San Francisco, and Baltimore, Kansas City, and the best guy under uh, you know Bill Belichick. No, don't no, don't go with them or go with the guy in the Vikings. Because here's the thing. He also coached the Patriots in this year. Mohamed Sanu didn't work out so far, and their first-round pick hasn't worked out. Adam is a slot guy. So I really want to trust the guy who, coaching wide receivers, and it's not really well. And, yes, he's the special teams coach, but usually the only example of a special team coach is John Harbaugh. But where do you come from? Again, Andy Reid's coaching tree and not Bill Belichick's tree. So I feel like this move is probably going to explode, and in a couple of years from now, they're going to fire Judge, and then their Gettleman's going to be fired, and they're going to have to start all over again with a new GM and a new head coach. And maybe Ron Rivera and Mike McCarthy didn't want to work for Gettleman. But at least if you hire Josh McDaniels, he may have been like, what are you doing with some of the moves you're making, you know? So the Giants may not may have the third-best quarterback, but they have the fourth-best coach. And they're probably going to lose twice to Dallas. Obviously, they probably can't keep up with the Eagles, and they're not going to even keep up with Washington. So, again, they made mistakes. Now, the Browns, they have all the time to make a coach. I said they can go Stefanski, McDaniel, enemy Roman, the guy in Buffalo, Dabor, or Robert Sala. They can go with Jim Schwartz. They got the Browns this time hopefully don't screw up their pick. But also, they don't have a GM. So does the head coach they hire going to pick the GM? I don't know. It really makes sense. And one thing about Joe Judge, oh, he also worked with Nick Saban. Just because you worked next to Nick Saban and you worked next to Bill Belichick doesn't work. Because how many guys have been hired recently because they worked with the genius in L.A.? No. Sean McVay, some guys they hired just because they worked with him. And I don't think every single guy who's worked with Sean McVay, the Bengals guy hasn't worked out. Yes, it's been one year, and he shook, and the guy in, in cares, you know, the guy in St. Louis, the guy in Arizona, Kingsbury. There's other guys, Mike Vabril with the page, with the Packers. There's some guys just because they worked with Sean McVay doesn't mean they're actually going to be the guy you want to go with. So... 
I, the Giants, they basically, they basically were, oh my God, they hired the guy we want to rule. McCarthy and Rivera didn't want to sign with us. We got to hire somebody that we interviewed. Wow. And they go with the guy that Bill Belichick goes, yeah, this guy's good. Not even the guy that was the best guy on the staff. So at least I can save the Bears. They hired from the Andy Reid coaching tree. They hired from Andy Reid's coaching tree for the offensive line coach in Castillo. And hopefully they hire somebody who knows how to coach an offense. Unless they just want to have Nagy be super uh, egotistical like like the guy in Atlanta. He coaches the defense. Bill Belcher coaches the defense. There are guys who just, they're the offensive or the defensive coordinator, but they're also the head coach, which I think is silly. Now, that's football talk for you. Now, when it comes to baseball, since it has been since the New Year's Eve, as I talked about, the Dodgers signed Jimmy Nelson. He hasn't been the most healthy the past couple seasons, but when he's been healthy, he's been good. And Milwaukee, they're asking to be the top of the rotation. But if you have Bueller and Clayton Kershaw and Keta Maeda and Ross Stripling and Julio Uriat, yes, you like Rich Hill and Ryu, but they're older guys, then you just slot Jimmy Nelson in the back of the rotation. Not a lot of pressure. Now, the Orioles signed Iglesias. Now, last year they signed a C.S. Escobar to a minor league deal, not a major league deal. And instead of making him the guy, they went back and forth between backup utility infielder and Alberto and VR. And a Rule 5 guy and Richie Martin didn't work out. This year they decided, you know what, we're going to actually go with Iglesias because now that VR is gone and because we didn't want to pay him all this money, we signed Iglesias to a guaranteed deal. Iglesias improved offensively a bit in, Balt- in uh, Cincinnati. He displaced... Peraza's second base, who then also got displaced, and then they moved into the outfield. That Iglesias shown that he's, you know what? He's good enough to be a starting shortstop on a team at the bottom of the order. So Baltimore, at least they could say, we got shortstop fixed. Now, I don't know if second base and third base is fixed or the outfield, but they got that. Padres, they re-signed Craig Stamen. So they got Craig Stamen, Kirby Yates, and Drew Pomerantz right there. That's a nice, solid back end of the bullpen, the guys you want to go out there. Now, the Giants, they signed Tyson Ross to my league deal after signing Kevin Gosman to a, a low, cheap deal. If Tyson Ross is healthy, when he's in San Diego, and, uh, and at the couple other teams he pitched for as well, he pitched well. But that's only one healthy. Didn't really work out in Texas, and it didn't work out in Detroit because he wasn't healthy. But when he's healthy, having him and Gosman just to eat two innings up for the Giants who are not a playoff team, good idea. Texas, Jeff Mathis, they hired, they uh, signed him for a two-year deal last year to be the guy defensively, but he declined defensively, and he's not a great hitter. Chirinos, he's never been considered the best catcher, but he works well with pitcher, and he's a much better offensive player. So they just love him because throughout his tenure in Texas, he's been the starter of the backup, so it's good for them. Now, the Angels signed Jason Castro. He's one of the only few guys in the market who I think could still be a starting catcher. He may not be an all-star like he was one year in Houston or as 30 as he was in Minnesota because he missed a year. But for him to catch, that's what they need. The Angels have Dylan Bunny and Julio Turan and Shohei Otani and Andrew Heaney. They're not names to jump off the page. So as much you try to get the most out of them, and I think Castro can do that. And their lineup is stacked. Well, he'd probably be batting eighth or ninth in this lineup, so they don't really care about his offense. They need to handle the pitching staff. The Dimebacks... They needed somebody to pitch with Archie Bradley because they haven't worked out with Brad Boxberger and Greg Holland the past few years. So Hector Rendon, former closer, setup man, good move. He could be the setup man for Archie Bradley because they could finally give Archie Bradley the job. Now the Nationals, they did so much. They re-signed us Drupal Cabrera and Daniel Hudson. Now Daniel Hudson, when healthy, really good setup man. Now that they have Sean Doolittle and they have Hudson and they also signed Will Harris to multi-year deal to be a setup man. 
They improved their bullpen at the beginning of the season, so they don't have to in back-to-back post, uh, you know, runs for the postseason have to trade for relievers. They still have Elias, they still have Hunter Strickland, and they got a couple young guys in their bullpen. They don't need to bring back Fernando Rodney, an old guy or other guy, because they got Harris and Hudson to go with Elias, Strickland, the young guys they have in their bullpen at Doolittle, so they did a smart thing there. They brought back as Drupal Cabrera because they already brought back Howie Kendrick, and Cabrera's no longer going to play shortstop. Maybe he can face second base, but for right now, because Rendon left and they haven't signed Donaldson, Howie Kendrick will get a bats first, second, and third, so will Drupal Cabrera, and they also brought in Starlin Castro, who will place Brian Dozier, and because he's still not a bad defensive shortstop, they're not going to ask him to play shortstop, but by having him they're going to have Starlin Castro, who will be playing for a team finally that has motivation. Because his numbers in Miami dipped because, A, there was nothing around him. He had no protection in the lineup like he did in Chicago when he had Rizzo, and no protection like when he was on the Yankees in the lineup. So he's just all by himself, and there's really nothing to play for. They even played him at third base and shortstop a couple games back to get him back at shortstop when they should have traded him. So he'll be re invigorated to play second base, rejuvenated. He'll play second, and a combination of Drupal Cabrera and Howie Kendrick at third base is not bad. Now, when it comes to first base, they didn't really have an option. They could have brought back Stalwart Zimmerman or Matt Adams. They decided to, re- to sign Eric Thames. Guess what? Eric Thames, and that home run streak, when he that home run pace when he first signed, then they figured him out. But he could still hit 20 home runs and 70 RBIs in his sleep, and he could play the occasional right field if Adam Eden or Juan Soto need the day off in corner outfield. So he will fix the first base spot because he can play every day, unlike Zimmerman, who can't stay healthy or Matt Adams. And they got Cabrera and Kendrick for support, and they got Castro, and they got the bullpen, and they signed David Hernandez to minor league deal. He had a struggle this year with the Reds, but in, when he's been, well, in most years, when he's been healthy, he's been a good reliever. So they decided Javi Guerra and David Hernandez minor league deals, Harris and Hudson to major league deals, improving their bullpen, and they signed infielders. So they're trying to fit all the pieces because, yeah, they say they need Anthony Rendon, but if Starlin Castro gets back to where he's supposed to be, where he's an all-around hitter, and Drupal Colbert gets the most of bats at third base and he has 20 home runs, Thames hits 20-plus home runs, and they get all the RBIs from them, and they got the guys at the beginning of the year in the bullpen, they can have a good job of trying to repeat because they kept Strasburg and they still have that good rotation. They just improved the bullpen. Now the Cubs, they don't have money. They signed Carlos Swaggy to minor league deal. Swahi, the Padres kept trying him out at second base, and then eventually didn't work out. He became a utility player, and he went overseas. Cubs, again, are scraping the barrel with him and Hernan Perez, guys who can play second base and be utility players, when they should just give the job to Nico Horner or the guys like Ian Happ, okay? Nico Horner, Ian Happ. And there's probably another guy that they played as well that's a young guy. You got all these young guys, just give them the chance. Don't be going with these utility guys who have failed before. Now, what I can say about the White Sox is thank you very much. You did a back-to-back all season. You signed Jimenez to a deal so he could start the season so we don't have to do the whole clock thing like the Cubs did with Chris Bryant and the Blue Jays did with Guerrero. You decided to do Luis Robert. Now, Luis Robert, the Sox would love if he's the leadoff hitter or to bat second to start his career, but when he first, to open the season, he's probably going to bat in the lower part of the lineup. And they call Nick Madrigal up. He'll probably start in the lower part of the lineup. But if two of them are the table setters, or one of them is the table setter with Tim Anderson, then you can just have Moncada, Abreu, Edwin Encarnacion, Gerdal, Eloy, Robert, and then you go Mazzara, and you go Madrigal or whomever at the bottom of the lineup as well. That's the thing. The Sox lineup is too good. That Mazzara, 
or Madrigal would be batting last if Robert and Anderson are at the top of the lineup, which is why they want to put Makata second. But I have no problem if Norm Mazar is my ninth hitter and either Nick Madrigal or Luis Robert is batting eighth. I got no problem with that. If Eloy, Grindahl, and Edwin are batting anywhere between fifth and seventh, that's a stacked lineup. I don't think the White Sox have had a stacked lineup like that before. And they also signed Steve Chiswick. Now, they wanted them to bring back Daniel Hudson. It had been a nice reunion or sign Harris. But every reliever kept going off the market. Guys who I thought, great eighth inning guys, who have also closed games out. Chiswick has been a closer in Seattle, St. Louis, Miami, and briefly in Chicago. And he's been a, but he's best suited eighth inning. So if you got Kalame and him, and if Hamilton and Burr and Ferrer are healthy, you can call them up. If Ferrer is healthy, try to salvage that. Chase Fry try to salvage that, but we've got Aaron Bummer and Evan Marshall. The bullpen is not as bad as it should be. The only thing the Sox should be doing is maybe sign a couple of guys, like I mentioned Aston Reed before. There's plenty of these relievers, there's like 100 of them. Sign a couple of them to minor league deals with invitations to spring with incentives if they make the bullpen. Because if I'm telling you, Hamilton is if I'm telling you that Hamilton and Burr and Ferrer have been battling injuries along with Kelvin Herrera. Jace Fry hasn't been good in Ever Marshall. That was his best season in the most innings he pitched, and they still got that Jimmy Cordero guy. It would be nice with all those question marks that if Colome and Chizik are and, and Bummer are your only three positive, that you still could potentially have four to five question marks in that bullpen, depending on if you go seven or eight relievers. And it's a good idea if they sign some guys to minor league deals. That would be the best thing, and... Just go start the season with Leori Garcia as the everyday second baseman, and so you have a leadoff hitter, or Danny Mendick. No need to bring back Yomer Carlos Sanchez. No need to sign Brock Holt. Those are utility players. But if you want to sign someone in the vein of, you know, Carlos Sanchez or Brock Holt, there are plenty of guys out there. You can just sign them to a minor league deal as well. And if they have an amazing spring training, they make the team over Danny Mendick. Whoop-de-doo. That's fine. But what they also should be doing is now that Tilson and Cordell are gone and you basically have Adam Engel and Leroy Garcia, maybe sign one of the many outfielders that are on the market to complain center field to a minor league deal as well. So just depth. They need minor league deals to relievers, minor league deals to second to utility players in the infield and backup outfielders, and even sign some starting pitchers to minor league deals because if Kopech doesn't start the year and Rodon doesn't pitch the year and both Cease and Lopez struggle, I don't want to turn to Dylan Covey whatsoever. If it's Keuchel, Giolito, Gio Gonzalez, and Cease and Lopez, and they struggle, and and then Kopech struggles a bit, and Rodon doesn't pitch, I want to have some backup. Maybe you bring back Van Nova on a minor league deal. I don't know. Nobody's jumping out to sign him to a big contract. I don't know. That's the sort of thing. That's just my suggestion. Now, some pop cultures. Last week I talked about SNL, how Beck Bennett – and Cecily Strong and Kate McKinnon are doing all the uh, impersonations in that Kate has played two women in a sketch before. Before you know it, she's going to play a man and a woman in the same sketch, not just the woman, because they're overtaxing her. I'd say that Heidi Gardner doesn't really do impressions, and they don't use Melissa Van Asor, and Kyle Mooney has the strengths of doing videos, and Keenan Thompson and Chris Redd are doing the black guys. Now, Moffat and Day, it's only been three years, so you're putting a lot of pressure on them. And you got your... We can update people. They don't really do impressions. Pete can't really do impressions as well. Ego Odom is doing black women because she's not the replacement for Leslie Jones. She's the replacement for Zeros and Matt and Chloe Feynman's new. Because really the thing is, Leslie Jones wrote for them. And then in 2014, they decided to make her a weekend correspondent because she's a writer because they were running out of ideas. Then they said, let's make her a featured player. Then they're like, 
there was criticism on not having much diversity, but also not having many women on the show. So she became a featured member, and she was full-time. Now, that's fine and dandy if Lauren Michaels felt that he didn't have enough black people on the show, so they wanted to have two black women or one black woman, however many you wanted, and to have more women. But right now, the problem with the show was there's too many women, so there's not enough men to do the impersonations, which is why Bryant and Kate McKinnon have done impersonations. But Shamir Zamata, she left the Shamir Zamata, she left the show because when you had a sketch, just a sketch comedy sketch, they were not choosing her, even though she was she was trained and best at doing sketch comedy. When they're doing like impressions of like Oprah Winfrey or Michelle Obama, instead of using her, who's good at impersonations they use leslie jones and she was horrible at those impersonations she screwed up her lines and would laugh and stuff and she came off as an angry black lady and if you're trying to get diversity and you're trying to look like you have people on the show because you care about representing all races and all genders and you want to have races for you want to have as many women as possible fine that's a good thing but don't go out there every day and portray her as an angry black lady in every sketch because that's not really acting. She just was playing herself. That may be a controversial thing to say, but she was basically playing herself. But if she, but even when she was controversial, being the Weekend Updates correspondent, that was your thing to go, oh, that's not a good idea. She's controversial. Get her off Weekend Updates. Don't make her a featured or full-time member. She left the show, and I'm glad she left the show because the show, a lot of this, she would derail the sketches as well. The sketches went downhill in the sketches because it just wasn't good. So I'm glad that Ego Odom's on the show, and I'm glad they're using her as much as possible in all these sketch comedy scenes and to try to do impersonations. But just to be racially correct, politically correct, by having two black women or one black woman or two black men and having Velissa Vesor's Hispanic woman and having Bowen Yang as Asian Asian man, that's nice. But I'm looking for people that can actually do impressions, people that can actually do their lines correctly and act in a sketch, or come up with a character for Weekend Update that isn't stupid or inappropriate, that's what I want. I don't like, I don't want somebody to hire somebody just because of the race. I want to see talented people. I'm saying Shazir Zamata, she's talented, really talented. Melissa Vensor, she's talented. And they hired them really for diversity, and, I, and they hired Bowen Yang. But Bowen Yang has made creative characters in... Weekend updates and his sketches, and he's because he's been a right. He was a writer on the show, and he's done impersonations pretty well. So I can't give Jones that credit. And you may say I'm being racist. You may say that I'm being sexist, but she wasn't funny in Ghostbusters. And ever since she got casted as a full time ever on SNL, then did Ghostbusters. She was she appeared in top five this Chris Rock movie. She's gonna be in the next top five Chris Rock movie. She's gonna be in Coming to America. She's going to just explode. All, she's exploding all over the place, and it's nice for her to have success. I'm not trying to take it down, but I, she was never that funny, and she's being a stereotypical woman. So I, I understood why she felt that she should leave, fine, leave the show. It's, the show hasn't – her and me on the show didn't make it better. It kind of brought it down, and when you're leaving, it hasn't really made that much of an impact. Now, just to let you know as I wrap this up, thanks for listening to podcast number 11. My podcast is on Spotify. It's on Google Podcasts, and it's also on Anchor. It's still no word about the Apple Podcast. I don't know how long that takes. I don't know if they denied it. Whatever the case is, Anchor automatically uploaded. I'm in the process of getting a website, and soon that website, I will tell you about it. But for more of my stuff, it's always going to be on Facebook, on the Radar Entertainment blog. My podcasts are going to be on Spotify, and they're on Google Podcasts, but the link will be on my Facebook page, on the Radar Entertainment blog. 
and just let you know, I'm continuing to post all the 25-man rosters of every team. I posted the Rockies, and I posted the Padres, the Diamondbacks. The Rockies and the Diamondbacks have been a lot easier because they haven't that many years and a lot many players, but also it's hard to choose if they don't have a lot of good players. But the Rockies were hard because it was the first team I went up there. The Padres, they've been around 50 years, so it took it was a little hard. But the hardest thing is going to be doing the Brooklyn L.A. Dodgers and the San Francisco New York Giants because they've been around for so many years, so there's a lot of history to go through. And how long has a guy played there, if they're really good or not. And finally, they have so many Hall of Famers. No matter if they got into the writers or the Veterans Committee, they're guys that are in the Hall of Fame. So yes, my podcast is on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and there's a website coming, but check out my blog at Radar4428 or the Facebook page for the Ultimate 25-Man roster and three album reviews that are coming up. Thanks for listening to On The Radar. I'm your host, Radar. See you next time. This was the On The Radar show with Radar. For more from him, check out his Facebook page, On The Radar Entertainment blog. His long-form articles are radar 4428 dot blogspot dot com hit the youtube account on the radar follow him on the twitter at radar4428 and download his podcasts from apple podcast under on the radar